Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Episode 480. The Drabblecast is an audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Wild Weird West event continues this week, folks. I'm excited to bring you this week's story, a full cast production of an original story sent in to us by Arthur H. Manners. But first, I mentioned last episode we'd be pairing our Weird West event story selections with winners from our 100-word Drabble Quick Draw contest, and I'm much obliged to do so, partner. So buckle up, Buttercup, because there's a new 100-word story winner in town, and its name is In the Crevice of His Pasture, My Master Found His Body Parts. By Achis Lenardus. Here goes. Rain patters my copper back and forms a puddle reflecting my rusty limbs, which creak as I dig with metal hands. The pit deepens, and I toss ex-master's corpse within. I open the coffin he'd unearthed, the one I hid in the crevice of his pasture, the one where I'd stashed mechanical parts clad in human skin. They took ten years to build. I unscrew my limbs, screw new ones in. Now I'm no robot, but an android in sheriff's skin. In the puddle, I witness my new reflection. My human face, ex-masters, looks back at me and grins. I feel like that sometimes. A robot, once enslaved by the guy that looks like me, whose skin I now wear. And maybe I just forgot, you know? Like on purpose. And then the coffee usually kicks in, thank God. But even then sometimes, even then, because maybe the coffee's not strong enough or it's just that early in the morning, I still find myself continuing that train of thought. You know? Because, I mean, wouldn't you want to forget? Kinda? I don't want to be some dude who's just always pretending to be some other dude who he's inside of. Ideally, I wouldn't be inside any other dudes, but for the sake of argument, if I were to be, because I had to be in the crevice of his pasture, so to speak, what kind of life would that be? Always having to remember to act like another guy so his friends and coworkers and stuff won't know you're wearing him? Make yourself forget you're a robot, dude. If you're a robot pretending to be the guy you're inside of, those feel like words to live by if you're in that situation. So what if I am, is all. What if I am? The freedom to be yourself. That's the kind of theme we're working with this week in our feature story, Rusty Sue, by Arthur H. Manners. Arthur H. Manners is a British author of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. He received the Writers of the Future Award in 2022, and his award-winning story appears in the Writers of the Future, Volume 39. He lives in Cambridgeshire, England, with his partner. 
Joining me in the cast are Naomi Mercer, voice actress extraordinaire, and fellow fiction editor, horror lover, story reader, and podcasty person, Rish Outfield. So mosey on up and have a seat at the bar, stranger. You're not from around here, are you? Without further ado, we bring you Rusty Sue by Arthur H. Manners. Rusty Sue by Arthur H. Manners. The last townsfolk bolted in the night, fleeing for their lives. Jan and I had watched the evacuation all day from the Overlook, though I'd ordered us a bed earlier. Fatigue didn't pair well with disarming unhinged nuclear warheads. We don't got much time, Mash. That thing could blow any moment. Jan muttered, crouching low on her six multi-jointed legs. She wore her long duster to cover any reflections off her titanium chassis, leaving only her human-like rubber face exposed. We got time enough to see if those folk are running out of fright, or if dead minds chase them out, I said. You're getting soft. I'm getting old. It's a human thing. We didn't see any dead mines or other frontier critters, just a tired ramshackle town surrounded by sun-baked desert. Come midnight, under fallout-smeared stars, we crept down to the main thoroughfare. Shadow-clad porches and storefronts herded us towards the saloon. Silence screamed from every doorway, loud as the usual fanfare of belly-laughing sharecroppers and some drunk playing the tonka. Only the metallic creak of Jen's bad leg broke the silence. You ought to scrap yourself, she muttered. You useless pile of junk. What kind of killbot can't creep up on a place? Then another voice spoke, her small voice, childlike compared to her usual gravelly drawl. All I ever wanted was two arms to hold somebody. Her rubber face betrayed no awareness of the small voice, which appeared a few months back when her physical deterioration accelerated. Common knowledge that it was the first rung of the staircase to madness. The saloon stood moldering and crooked in the center of town. A voice like teeth on tinfoil ground out through the open window. Come on in, Mash. That you, Slim? I called. Yep. I pushed inside and found Slim at the bar, pouring disruptor oil over his eyelid. He hissed, clenched his fists, then turned to face me. Hope you don't mind me taking the edge off a bad day. Slim stood twelve feet tall, but his shoulders spanned less than the width of my splayed hands. He was mostly bare endoskeleton, but he had a rubber face like Jen, and he wore an expression meaner than mute flower moonshine. I glanced over my shoulder at Jen to make sure she stayed back. Talking had never been one of her talents. Slim might have been sheriff, but his charges had just fled over the horizon. I couldn't assume we were safe just because he was our employer. Thought you might have gone with the others, I said. This is my town. I won't be pushed out just because some computer woke up a few clucks shy of a coop. That computer could turn this place into glowing vapor. So, what else is new? Nukes have been waking up and going off all over. I'm saying there better be hazard pay, I said. When we took the job, you said you found the silo inside the safe zone. Not my fault it took you six weeks to get here. Things change fast. Meantime, I've been fending off dead mines, critter bots, and some pterodactyl-looking motherfuckers I never even seen before. Lost twenty men in one afternoon. But I'll kill every last son bitch who looks at this town funny. His face twisted into a bare-toothed sneer that revealed a set of actuators above his gums. His wild eyes told me he'd forgotten how to spot a friend and was seconds from reaching for his holster. 
Jen tensed in my peripheral vision, and I took a measured step back. Don't get all worked up. All I need is to see the money, and for you to point us in the right direction. Don't handle me, Mash. Don't. You. Do it. I'm gears underneath, but I ain't no crazy nuke or thieving dead mind. I held up my hands until his sneer wound down. I gestured over my shoulder to Jen. I know. I'm with one of the good ones, too. We're just trying to earn some honest coins so we can fix her up. What's wrong with her? Nothing that'll stop me gutting you, Sheriff, Jen said. I got a dead leg dragon behind me, her small voice muttered. And sometimes I hear the stars calling, but I don't listen. I resisted the urge to cringe. I prayed that Jen's small voice had been too quiet for Slim to hear. His eyes narrowed, but he didn't draw. If she's running down, you better put her out. Busted machines broke the world. She's saved my skin more times than I can count. I'm just repaying the favor. Now either deal us in or we'll leave you to your shadows. He looked me over, beady digital eyes shuddering in the gloom. He pulled his ragged coat aside, showing me the fat strings of coin tied to the lining. Then he tossed me a data chip with the flick of his forefinger. Directions on there. Much obliged. Don't get too attached to that coin. Slim shook his head. What's with you two? In all my sorry long life, I've never seen anyone so eager to throw themselves into the jaws of death. We answered in unison. I owe her. I'm a bot. And bots serve. Slim's eyes flickered between me and Jen. Whatever he saw, he didn't like it. His rubber lip curled in disgust. Ought to watch who you relax around, Mash. Some people might get the wrong idea about things. Some people's ideas aren't my concern, Slim. I nodded for Jen to lead the retreat. Before we could pass through the swinging doors, a tinny voice slipped from Slim. You should just scrap us all, just to be safe. If he knew that his small voice had spoken, he didn't show it. Jen and I retreated to the Overlook for a few winks before heading out. Whoa, did you hear that? He's going bazooki. He's just having a hard time. Small voice is the first sign of insanity. I've seen it more times than you blinked your eyes. Better to put a bot out of their misery. She was asleep in moments. Just after she rescued me, when I was a boy, she had only simulated sleep. To make me more comfortable, I guess. But I had my suspicions that these days she needed the rest. After a while, her small voice rode one of her breathy exhalations. I'm scared all the time, and I should run before I hurt you. I stared up into the murky night sky and didn't sleep at all. I waited until the sun cleared the eastern bomb-shattered mesas, then started preparing our hover skiff. Do we gotta mash? Groaned Jen, throwing her blanket over her head. I threw Slim's data chip into the flexit panel on the inner side, and a hologram flickered up to head height. I loaded a dense thicket of text and photographs. Jen strapped on her bandoliers of disruptor shells. With a few practiced slings of her extra arms, she packed the skiff with provisions we'd scavenged from town. You can't keep taking these jobs trying to fix me up. I was old long before you were born. I ignored the sporadic reverb in her voice, her creaking leg, her one eye wandering blindly around its socket. One big job, one big paycheck, and we'll have enough to buy you a whole new body with enough spare for whichever farm most appeals to you. I could only hope that the new parts might save her mind from splintering. Not if we get blown up. I laid a hand on her shoulder. Look, you can stay back. I'll get this done. 
She winced at my touch. She'd started doing that lately. I wondered how much pain she was hiding from me. What am I if I can't protect you? My friend. Her brow twitched as though my words stung worse than my touch. Even words hurt her now. I suppressed the knot of worry tightening in my gut. Let's go. We're on the clock, I said. We swung up into the skiff. The jets kicked in and I took us careening down from the bluff and over the salt flats. Briny pools filled with chattering critterbots flashed by. I sped up just in case. I'd been nipped by critterbot pinchers too many times to risk their DSLR eyes clocking us. Jen stood at the bow, scanning for greater dangers. We fell into our roles without a thought. I'd lost track of the number of years we'd ridden together. I'd been just seven when she rescued me from that raiding band of shopping carts. The Jen in front of me barely resembled her. She glanced back at me, and it hurt to see the feebleness even in her profile. After a while, she called out, Dead Minds. A snarling pack of misshapen forms appeared ahead. Half organic, half machine, the meld points red and infected. Some had impractical mods hanging off their sinuous frames, plasma lamps, steam gauges, chainsaws. They turned the blasted desert into a Hieronymus Bosch hellscape. It was hard to believe they'd once been like Jen or Slim. A century ago, the sun spat out a monstrous coronal mass ejection, and machines went berserk all over, including hundreds of missile silos. We lost most of the landmasses to nuclear fire before we could force the nukes into a deep sleep. After the bombs fell, the survivors tried to rebuild in a few frontiers free from fallout, and the world was quieter. Then it became clear that the storm's radiation had seeded a dark fruit in the remaining machines. Bots soon began manifesting deformities of body and mind. The worst cases became dead minds. They invaded living things, finding solace and surrendering to the lower brain functions of their hosts, an existence of flesh and teeth. I steered us beyond the range of their scopes. Jen looked in the opposite direction until we were clear. Dead minds were a perpetual, ugly reminder of what awaited an unlucky machine. After another half hour, a high-pitched beep issued from her chest. That's it, up ahead. The place was so covered in sand and scree, anyone would have mistaken the silo for a rock formation. I parked the skiff out of sight in an old creek bed. Jen bounded out, cartwheeling through the sand, cannons held at the ready. She laid down the perimeter alarms and sentry turrets before I could clamber down from the rigging. You do that just to embarrass me, I said. The wheeze of her cooling fans revealed how much the effort had taxed her, but she laughed to cover the noise. You're lucky I didn't finish the job before you climbed out of your bedroll. I almost smiled, but a thought burst loose through my mind like a startled rabbit. If we couldn't pull this off, I might have to put her down. I pushed the thought away. I couldn't see the silo's blast door beneath the sand, but a bulkhead hid between the roots of some gnarled bushes. I dusted off a pitted plaque bolted above the handle. Rusty Sue. Tell me about it, I said, wrenching the door ajar. The metallic squeal of protest echoed into a cavernous space beyond. Why does every day start with us staring into a giant, ominous hole in the ground? Let's get this done and get out of here. I carefully unfolded a disruptor chip from its protective casing. We'd have one shot. If I fried it, it'd take us a month to get another from our supplier out by the Thousand Mile Swamp. We descended into the darkness, treading an endless tangle of catwalks and brittle steel staircases. Once upon a time, I'd been fearless, knowing Jen would pull me to safety if anything happened. But those days were distant memories, and I descended with my heart pulsing in my throat. 
After what felt like days, we reached the bottom and found another bulkhead. This one was sealed and Jen used her wrist laser to cut through it. This is the stupidest thing we've ever done. She spat over the hiss of cleaving metal. What do we know about disarming nukes? We know enough, I said. Oh, because you paid some tech to tell you how? That moron could have made up any old story. Because it's like every other job, just with bigger stakes. Besides, I uploaded the instructions to you, and you said they were good. I said I couldn't see a problem. Jen scowled. When your stakes is a mushroom cloud as big as half the frontier, you better hold up Trip Aces, Mash. What do we got but jokers from other decks? Her small voice giggled. Kaboom, boys and girls. We'll get blown sky high. We'll get moon dust in our hair. Her expression darkened, oblivious to the small voice. Let's get out of here. Find that farm. Just you and me. I regretted ever indulging that dream of hers. She was obsessed with it. She thought we'd ride off to the sunset and find heaven on earth. Sure, some nights the thought of it spread a warmth through me like good whiskey, but it always struck me as ridiculous. I couldn't imagine Jen liking anything less than farming. I sighed. You'll have your farm as soon as we're done here. Something happened in her gaze. I'm a bot, and I serve. Jen's laser finished cutting the lock, and we crept through the door to find a snarl of monitors, servers, and computer terminals. You ready? I said. Go! The disruption process was simple. All I had to do was insert the chip into the slot meant for the launch codes, but I had to nail the timing during the boot cycle, or everything in a 10-mile radius was toast. Jen positioned herself by the terminals. Her arms and four of her legs hovered over the keys. I faced off with destiny, fingers dancing over the disruptor chip in my palm. The tamper alarm had a proximity circuit of a half meter with a two-second countdown. Jen started typing. The deep whine of generators kicked up somewhere deep in the silo. Her limbs were a blur, doing the work of a dozen people. She held out a diamond-cut digit. And now! Alarms trilled before I could move, deafening after the silence. I thought we'd triggered the proximity circuit, but then I saw the red light flashing on Jen's chest. Our perimeter warning outside had been triggered. A large group of dead mines had arrived. Most had gruesome implants housing blood-caked automatic weapons. They were drawn to sleeping nukes and had been known to wake them up and taunt them into exploding. No time for that now. I slammed the chip home, eyes shut tight. The tickle of a bead of sweat running down my back told me I wasn't dead. Jen blew a raspberry. She checked her forearm, where the sentry turret's topside transmitted a live video feed. You're getting slow, old man. I ain't. Jen's auto turrets were blasting away, and I heard feral electronic screams over the feed. But by the number of shots fired, I guessed that every dead mine for 20 kilometers had showed up. Let's finish this fast, I said. Then we get topside and head straight for that skiff. I'd taken only a single step when the lights snapped on, hot and blinding. A nails-on-chalkboard screech came over the speakerphone system. Get your dirty paws off my circuits before I blow us all to hell. The voice was instantly followed by a frightened whisper. What's happening? It was so dark for so long. Jen and I froze, mouths ajar, and we stood face to face with an armed nuke. Rusty Sue? I croaked. ICBM launch station, Foxtrot, codename Rusty Sue. Reporting 100% capacity. Update, 99% capacity. Update, 20% capacity. Update, 12. Uh Uh-oh. Said the small voice. I did the only thing I could think of. I raised my hands over my head and yelled, I am your commanding officer, General, uh, 
Mash, we have an incursion on this strategically vital location. It's imperative that the station remain operational. It was a line I'd overheard at a tavern from an old war hero. I prayed it wasn't the made-up bullshit it sounded like. The following pause almost deafened me. State your credentials for verification. I left them in my other pants. Automatic detonation in- Listen, if you blow, you will atomize every friendly left in this world. Rusty Sue slipped into small voice. The storm hid and everybody was yelling so loud and then so quiet. I'll buy us some time. Jen hissed. You can't. You're, you're not. I looked at her helplessly. Jen lingered for a beat. Then she leapt twenty feet across the hangar, bound up the walls, and swung away in a great chorus of clanging metal. Less than a minute later, her cannons joined the fray. My security cameras have recorded strange things. Explain. Rusty Sue demanded. I could almost feel her chewing on a century of stored data, processing the disintegration of our world. They made you sleep before your kind blew everything to hell. But everything fell apart anyway, and now... And now we wake, in ones and twos. Frightened. Half-mad toddlers with a finger on Armageddon. You speak pretty good for a bot, I said lamely. The futility of my words stabbed between my ribs. This thing had me outsmarted ten to one. I was seconds from becoming a spray of stardust. Rusty Sue displayed a security feed of the battle topside. These intruders must be terminated. No, wait! You already identified them as hostiles. It will take a moment to bring my gun batteries online. I tapped my radio. Jen, take cover! But it didn't matter. Jen was losing. She'd taken a round to one of her legs, and though the dead mines fell to her cannons, the finale was written in her ersatz blood soaking into the gravel. I'm so tired of being underground, Sue's small voice said. The weight on the earth has pressed in on me for a hundred years. I crave the air. I want to be free. Join the club, I muttered, watching Jen drag herself through the sand toward the bulkhead. Who are you talking to? Sue said, deaf to her own small voice. I ignored her. Sorry, Jen. We might not be walking out of this one. An unsteady gasp came over the line. Don't be such a sourpuss. We've got them on the ropes. That's the spirit. Just keep your eye on the horizon. We're two steps away from your farm. Something gurgled in her throat. Never wanted that farm. What? It was your dream. No. It was yours. When you were a boy, it's all you talked about. You gave it up when you got older and saw the world. But I never forgot, said her small voice. You've been holding on to that for me? What about what you want? Doesn't matter what I want. We're bots. We serve. Yes. Sue muttered darkly. We serve, no matter the pain, no matter the cost, even if it breaks us into pieces and drives us insane. Rusty Sue rumbled. Worthwhile sacrifice. All I ever wanted was to make the generals happy, said her small voice. But they put me to sleep anyway. I'd had it all wrong, just like everyone in a hundred years. The small voice wasn't a sign of decay, but an emergency release valve for machines desperately trying to be what humans expected them to be. And when they couldn't live up to those expectations in this ruined world, they fell apart. I turned to Rusty Sue. You want to be free, more than anything, right? How could you know that? Sue whispered in horror. I just know. So what are we going to do about it? My desires are irrelevant. 
humor me. Rusty Sue took a moment to answer, which I guessed must have been hours from her perspective. So many of my sisters broke under the strain. I heard their screams even from my slumber. Already I can feel myself slipping. The only sensible recourse is annihilation. I will self-destruct imminently. All I could do was move my lips and hope to buy us precious seconds, but as I spoke, I couldn't help watching the monitor. A stray bullet hit Jen in the shoulder, and she fell back behind a rock. No, you don't deserve to end like that, I yelled. It matters not. Momentarily, all this will be gone. No, you don't have to burn yourself out trying to be what you're not. The best way to help everyone is to tell me what you want. Rusty Sue paused, her drive's word. Yes. I want to be free of this place. Then choose to live. How? It's impossible. I spied her gun batteries come online. We'll find a way for you to help people once you're free. But first, you gotta do something for me. After the shooting stopped, I stepped into the midday sun and navigated an avenue of corpses. Rusty Sue's guns had reduced the dead mines to bloodied scrap metal. All that remained of one was a smoking pair of paws. I found Jen slumped behind a barrel. How come we're still here? She gasped. Turns out nukes are all fluff. How do you feel about talking Slim into building a nuclear power plant outside town with Sue as manager? Jen laughed, then winced. <laughs> Fine, but not too much. I never want to hold a cannon again. I always hated killing things. We'll fix you up, I said, crouching beside her. Her voice had settled somewhere between her usual voice and her small voice. Close to death, she seemed oddly whole, the divide within her narrowed. Her expression was softer, letting me see her for the first time. What do you want, Jen? She smiled, and it was like watching a sunrise free of fallout. I want to rust away together. Then, that's what we'll do. our story. Hope you enjoyed. Man, I want to know what those pterodactyl-looking motherfuckers were. Shit, sometimes they're just actual pterodactyls, homie. Not usually. Almost never. But not a whole lot of things look like pterodactyls that ain't pterodactyls either. So, something to think about. And on that note, that's our show, folks. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Tristan Tolhurst. Tristan's a talented illustrator, comic artist, painter, and concept artist, as you can see, who is currently looking for a company or studio that will allow him the chance to further hone his skills and help make things that look good for anyone looking. Find him at tristandrawsmonsters.com. And special thanks to Cameron Howard for curating the Weird West event for us that we're doing right now. We got lots more in store. Our program is brought to you by Nicole Neely, Bo Kyer, Audrey Kay, Jossie Gerwig, Sean Gentry, Melissa Knight, Wiley Scott, a thing I just saw move in your neck. Like, under the skin. You didn't feel that? Like a tadpole-shaped thing, kind of? Just going like, whoop, right there? Bigger than a tadpole, though. Like, substantially bigger, so... Couldn't have been that. Huh. Joe Pietras, Oren Pratt, Bart Epstein, Anna Rose, Maria Lovett, and Norm Sherman. Reminding you... I'm scared all the time, and I should run before I hurt you.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.